0: Credit Union. Welcome to first Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. A I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here That's at all for today. Thanks join so much for tuning in. As we bring you our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. Lives. May God bless you as you listen and consider Long subscribing check. so that you can tune hey. in each week. Hey Grace hey and everyone. peace. Uh, my name is Warner. My name is Warner. How you doing? Uh, first, let's get the, there's a big gorilla elephant in the room. Um, I have braids underneath this hat. I got, my, I got my hair braided, because uh, I'm going on a vacation, and I have a big fro, and I didn't want to... <laughs> no, actually, actually, no, so there's this, uh, there's a wire hanging from here. Um, it wasn't supposed to, but I, you know it's giving me a very kind of like Williamsburg, kind of Bushwick, you know, artistic, warehousey, rustic kind of vibe. So I think, I don't know, I, I think we might, I think we might be onto something right there. So, um, so yeah, I thought E was gonna like swing at a point, like, just go swing on it, but, yeah, so, that's not supposed to be there, hope it doesn't distract you, um, yeah, so, uh, again, my name is Warner, let's actually just get right into the scripture, uh, Isaiah 6, Isaiah chapter 6, um, starting from verse 1, thank you, Pastor V, um, just while you are getting there in your phones or your, uh, your, uh, Bibles, that's what those things are called, your Bibles, um, Just a little background. So uh, Isaiah 6, this takes place at about 740 BC, right? Um, uh, The king uh, of the kingdom of Judah, um, King Uzziah, has just died, right? He started out as a really good king, um, had a lot of early success, had a lot of, uh, he was faithful uh, to keep God's commandments. He wasn't idolatrous or anything like that but as what comes with many uh, uh, men and or women that uh, begin really good with a lot of success, uh, eventually he fell, he got corrupted, he got, uh, uh, he he smelled himself a little bit too much, and he got arrogant, he got uh, uh, self-reliant, he started uh, participating in idol worship. Um, He started uh, neglecting the laws that God had given him to govern the kingdom of Judah. Um, And so as the leader went, the people went. So the people began being arrogant and self-reliant, not relying on, on God and, and uh, idolatrous and all these things. And it's in this environment that God has called the prophet Isaiah to speak to these people, to these hard-headed, uh, self-reliant, um, idolatrous, stiff-necked people. So let's pick up at verse one. <coughs> Excuse me. In the year that King... Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. This is Isaiah speaking. He's speaking about a vision that God has given him. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Verse four. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called the house. I'm sorry, who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me for I am lost for I am a man of unclean lips And I will dwell in the midst, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say this to the people, keep on hearing, but do not understand, keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Um, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, for your goodness, uh, for your mercy, Father, for uh, your faithfulness in our lives, Father. Thank you, Lord, for life, uh, for breath, for uh, waking us up this morning, for giving us the, the stamina and the endurance to even make it out of bed and into this uh, building today, Father. Um, I ask you, Father, to, to bless today, Lord. Um, let the word that spits forth, that goes forth, be yours, Lord. Um, that every good thing Um, that we gain today, Father, that you would uh, get glory and honor in it, Father, Um, and that you would be acknowledged um, as provider, as father, as king, and as savior, Father. Um, We thank you, Lord. Uh, Let the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, Father. Um, Let ears be open to hear and hearts receive what it is you have for us today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, so, if it isn't on the screens right now, um, <laughs> I entitled this. Uh, I see my wife I entitled this uh, uh, talk today. Uh, Sit down, be humble, be sent, be humble, go serve, be humble. Now, as I said with the first uh, service, that sounded so much more swaggy when I had the beat behind me. It sounded so much better. I thought so much of myself when I uh, first said this, but it doesn't sound as good without the beat. It doesn't quite roll off the tongue, but um, nevertheless, that is um, the title. And um, before I continue, I do have just a little... Um, for real, for real, a bit of a confession that I did share with the first service, and to be honest with you, I was a bit more emo, the first service. Um, so thankfully, you may not have to live through my snotting and crying in this one. Um, but uh, in the, uh, I, I explained that um, th- what I'm going to share with you today um, is a bit... Personal, at least in in content, because it's not something that I necessarily intended to share. Um, I wanted to share something else, but I was compelled to share this. Um, and in sharing it, I have to share a bit of myself, which, um, as a, a, a introverted, uh, a quiet person, is a is a bit nerve-wracking because um, I don't want to share myself, not especially when I don't want to, um, or, or when I didn't plan to. Um, but nevertheless, I am. Um, and in doing that, um, I'm a bit, even though I'm already nervous just speaking, um, there's a bit more nerves here. So um, I would ask you, employee, just bear with me as I work through this, as I work through it in the first service. Um, so August uh, 8th of 2002, my wife and I, we uh, welcomed our second child into the world. Um, thank you. I mean. She, she did all the heavy lifting, so I definitely can only take with too much credit. Um, but yeah, we welcomed our second child, second daughter, uh, Jaira Grace Josephine Miller. She's right there, and she's uncharacteristically qu- quiet right now, which I appreciate. Um, I don't mind, she cries. Uh, now, she's our second child. We have a uh, first one, Amani. Uh, she's upstairs, two years old, about to be three. So we have a toddler and a newborn, or infant at this point. And uh, any person that is a parent uh, will tell you that uh, as beautiful as your kids are, and as dope as they are, and I have truly dope kids. I'm like I'm not, I'm not holding you like they. I have really good kids. Um, it, it can be a challenge uh, to be a parent, um, and this is no complaints, no complaints at all. Um, but the r- reality is, it can be a challenge. It can be incredibly humbling to be. A parent. Um, uh, no matter how intelligent you are, no matter how many books you've read to prep you, no matter you know how many websites or apps you look at, you know uh, advice, both solicited and unsolicited, you get from people. Um, n- nothing can truly, truly prepare you for the for the uh, 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 pressure cooker that is parenting. Um, when you are, uh, my, my, my kids were just recently sick. My uh, youngest is kind of getting over a cold. And when you are at night, when you're hearing both your kids, or even just one, crying and coughing, and there's nothing, absolutely nothing, man, it's coming again, absolutely nothing you can do to fix it, um, that hits different. Like, it hits different because as a parent, whether you're a husband, um, I mean, whether you're a father or mother... Um, like, especially if you're a good one. You want to, you know, because there's some, there's some, there's some uh, jank, janky ones out there that don't, don't care. Um, but if you're a good one, um, you want to fix it. You want to fix it, you know. Um, and when you discover that you can't, like, it, it just hits different, man. Um, because you see, like, there's nothing you can do and it's humbling. It is so, 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 so humbling. Um, similarly, being a husband, you know, I, uh, I, I said that you know, there is no, uh, I, I don't know of any other, uh, any better. Um, Thing you can engage with, then marriage that will humble you in a way that marriage can, you, you will see how uh, selfish you are and self-centered you are and petty and ignorant you are. And not because your spouse necessarily tells you that, because my wife, she's never said those things to me. Like she is such, I, I, I got a dope wife, really, really dope wife. She would actually probably say the opposite of those things. Um, but nevertheless, like you see it like your spouse acts as a mirror. And the mirror doesn't make you dirty. The mirror tells you how dirty you actually are. Uh, without it saying anything, you're just looking like, wow, I didn't know that that was right under my eye right there. But it is, and that's what marriage has been. It has been beautiful, it has been great, it has been challenging, but it has been humbling. Humbling, humbling. Um, on a lighter note, uh, I, I was in a play, uh, um, Uh, I'm an actor, and I got cast in this this production that I had been really, really wanting to be in. It was a a Broadway show, um, closed now. Um, And I uh, I was cast as what's called an understudy. Now, an understudy, uh, for those who don't know, an understudy is maybe the equivalent of a backup quarterback, right? So I don't go on unless the starting QB comes off, right? Um, I never wanted to be. Uh, understudy, It never, never had been an understudy before. But I chose to do this because I believe that this uh, major movie star um, would inevitably have to go off and promote a movie, or you know, do press for something, or you know, just get tired because this was his first play he'd ever done. Um, end of story. He never didn't call out one time. Um, <laughs> never got sick. Never got tired. Seemingly, um, everybody else called out. Not my guy. Not my guy. He, he stayed from day one to day 100 and whatever. Didn't miss one show. So now I'm left on the side watching this guy perform a role that, if I'm honest, in my heart of hearts, and I told him, uh, I told him, he's a good guy. If you know, He's a good guy. I felt that I could do that role. In fact, I knew I could, and I could do it better than you. I should be up there. I should be up there. And I feel horrible that I felt that way. Not because I was uh, diminishing my talent, but I had resentment for this man. Because I felt that I had done the work and I should be up there and look at him. He's getting the applause that I know that I should get. And it was hard and it was humbling. Now, I know those are high-class problems. I got beautiful kids. It was a Broadway play. <laughs> Believe me, I'm not, listen, people got it much worse. But for me and my prideful self, it's stung. It's stung. And pride, many times, uh, the, the, the bigness of it is directly proportioned, I'm sorry, uh, and, and being humbled is directly proportioned to how much pride you got there. If you got a lot of pride, it's going to hurt a lot of it. And I discovered that I got a lot of it. I got a lot of it. And in sharing this, this is the hard part because I'm not I'm not, proud. I'm not proud of that. It's something that, um, that stung. So going to, um, going to the verse today, um, yes, we're going to talk about humility and being humble, and those are, are um, I would imagine I would hope that these are uh, that today's talk would be a reminder. To you uh, to many of you um this won't be new information um but i this is how this is where god has had me for the last uh six to eight months maybe even a year and my prayer today my hope is that where god has had me that in me sharing this with you that there would be some meat in this for you today um all right so let's go back to the verse uh uh chapter six isaiah verse one um if I had to give this a thesis statement, like something that I was trying to prove, I would say that humiliation often precedes exaltation. Humbling often precedes, precedes exaltation. We see that all in the scriptures. Um, you, you can put them up there in the Proverbs. It, it, it says many times that uh, honor comes before, I'm sorry, uh, humbling humility comes before honor. Humility comes before exaltation. There is a set chronology. This thing comes before that thing. And in the context of service, in the context of the the calling that God has called all believers to, there is a humility, there is a humbling that must precede whatever call, whether it's to this platform, and I don't just mean epiphany, but a platform to to speak on God's behalf or, or whatever leadership Whatever whatever, whatever uh, platform, whatever uh, space of, of influence, there is an element, there is a humbling that must take place. Um, so let's go to uh, Isaiah, uh, and we'll see it in this. Let's start from verse one. Um, I'm going to give you four steps. There are four steps on the road from being called um, to actually walking in the calling. So verse one. In the year that King Uzziah died, this is Isaiah speaking. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, let's stop there. Let's stop there. The first step, the first step on the path of actually operating in your calling for God is a very relatively simple one. It's very straightforward. It's actually seeing the Lord beholding the Lord, encountering the Lord. First, it says, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne. The first thing that Isaiah sees is he is overwhelmed by the bigness, the holiness, the brilliance of God's presence. And, and the key word is saw. Saw in Hebrew, it, it, can, it, can, be, um, it can be defined or it can be uh, understood as, as encountered, as engaged with um, as, um, as, as being in the room with, as, uh, 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 what else, as, uh, well, well, you get what I mean. It, it, it has some way, it's not just a simple uh, being around or having uh, 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 just a casual glimpse at God, if that was such a thing. It's not just uh, having this emotional encounter with God that leaves you with this euphoric um, uh, afterglow. It is something deeper than that. It is having a life-changing encounter, experience with the holy God. That's the first step. And that encounter that Isaiah has runs parallel to what many of us as a New Testament uh, Jesus followers, what, what we've encountered. When, when, when we first encounter Jesus, we are what the Bible calls uh, enemies of God, right? Uh, we. Uh, We're definitely not as, well, not definitely, but uh, perhaps we are not as bad as we thought we were, but we're certainly not as good as we think we are. We're not as bad as we could have been, but we're not as, as good as we think we were, right? Like a lot of us before we got saved, if, if you didn't grow up as as a, in a as a Christian, a lot of us who got saved, yeah, you could say, yo, I did some good things. I was a pretty decent person, maybe. Maybe you would say that stuff, but I would, but I would posit you that even the best of your goodness, the the good things you done, you did, were not. They were good on your terms. They were not good according to God's standard. Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, all have sinned and fall short of God's standard. God's standard is here. And in and of ourselves, we don't meet that standard. In fact, we are guilty. We, we stand guilty in front of a holy God based on his standard. And because of that, even our good works are not good according to his standard. So again, the first thing that Isaiah sees, the first, the first step is this life-changing encounter with God. Um, and again, it's akin to our uh, encounter with Jesus. And, I, and I'll say this again. If you have had an encounter with Jesus, it should be life-changing. It should have been life-altering. And if it hasn't, if you can honestly say that you have had an encounter with Jesus and it has not changed your life, then we we need to talk. We need to talk, or you need to talk to someone. We need pastors and ministers need to talk because that one doesn't. The math is not mathing in that one. Okay, so let's go back to the uh, to, to Isaiah. Um, so that's number one. Number one is having this life-changing encounter with God. So verse one. Um, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, and two he covered his face, and with two covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. I'm sorry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called the house was filled with smoke. So if the first step, if the first step is an encounter with God, this next verse is gonna tell us what this second step is. He says, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Step two, the second requirement, after you've had this, life encountering, uh, this, this, this uh, life-changing in, uh, encounter with the most holy God, step two is you allow this light, this brilliance, this perfect standard to actually humble you. Isaiah is brought to his knees, both figuratively and literally. He is brought to his knees and he says, woe is me. Woe is me. Again, Roman 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glorious God. I mentioned the standard. By that standard, none of us can claim goodness. By that standard, none of us can claim righteousness. We are exposed when encountered with that standard. I, uh, Isaiah says, uh, uh, I love how the, the, the New Living uh, Translation says, says uh, then I said, it is all over. I am doomed for I am a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Now pay attention to this. Now after Isaiah has said this, he says, I, uh, I am a sinner. After uh, being in the presence of God, I am a sinner. You know, woe is me, woe is me. You know what God doesn't say? He doesn't say, oh, no, 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 Isaiah, you're not that bad. Get up. Nah, nah, you're, you're really good at heart. Nah, 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 get up. Get up, man. Oh man, stop being, don't, don't beat yourself up. God doesn't say that. In fact, in the very next verse, is actually, it's affirmed the diagnosis that Isaiah uh, comes with. The next verse, uh, well, we'll get there, we'll get there. and I don't want to run ahead of myself. Um, but God essentially affirms that, yes. Yes, woe is you. Woe is you. When measured by this only barometer that matters, not your own, not society's, not whatever, by measured by the only barometer that matters, yes, woe is you. And by, and by extension, woe are any of us outside of the person of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. Woe is us. That woe means that by, the, by God's standard, we are judged guilty. And by guilty, there's a sentence there. There's a penalty there that every single one of us deserve. Now I understand, I understand and I get it that talking about sin and, and, and guilt and, and definitely hell are not, you know, sexy topics to, to, especially if you're trying to, you know, get people riled up and be on your side like that, you know, like, you know, get amen and stuff like that. That's not... The thing that perhaps um, would get, especially not in today, is not. And I understand that that people that there are certain people that are, are maybe justifiably triggered by that talk because they've heard it so much, and, and, and in fact it's been uh, uh, kind of thrown at you with abuse. But I'm telling you, it's necessary. It's necessary. Aside from being biblical, it is necessary to understand what is at stake. It is necessary for you to know and truly acknowledge and wrestle with the fact that, yes, on my own, apart from God, apart from God's provision of Christ to me, that on my own, with my own goodness, it, is, it, it, is, it, it falls flat. There's no working our way into heaven. There's no doing enough good works to get into heaven. There's no uh, doing, uh, uh, being, uh, praying enough, or going to church enough, or or, or reaching the word enough, or reading the word enough that is is, uh, comparable to God's standard. By that standard, we are woe. We are woe. I'm spending a little time on this because, one, for the reasons that I said, but also, if there isn't an understanding of the wowness that's not a word, but I made a word, an understanding of the woness and heaviness of that, then in the next verse, when God presents the remedy, when God pre- uh, presents the medicine for that sickness of sin, we won't appreciate it as much. We won't appreciate it as much. There's a, um, a parable in, in Luke, um, it talks about, let me see if I can get it. There's a parable in Luke that uh, talks about someone being, here, I'll read it. Uh, pick me up, uh, if you have it, uh, pick me up uh, Luke 7, uh, verse 41. He says, a certain, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Verse uh, 43, Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. He said to him, you have judged rightly. Again, the weight and acknowledgement of our state without God is paramount that we understand that. We possibly in this life could never have a full understanding of it. But we need, is need, it's a necessary thing that we have somewhat of an understanding of where we sat pre-Christ. Because if we don't, the beauty and the grace and loving gift that God has given us in Christ will not be received and or appreciated as much. And that is where Isaiah is right now. He is seeing, he's seeing where he stands outside of God. So the first step is having this encounter with God. The second step is actually being humbled by the brilliance and glory of God. Let's go back to Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah 6, pick me up at the fifth verse. Why I can hear a pin dropping here. Um, it's all right. Uh, and I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Check this out. Verse six. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. After we've had this encounter with, with God, this life-changing encounter, we have acknowledged him as King and Lord. We have let his brilliance and his standard humble us. We, have, we've, we now have a sobering, a right understanding of who we are in relation to God's standard. God absolutely could leave us that way, but he doesn't. By his grace and love, he provides to us what we could not have provided for ourselves, and that is himself. He is the burning coal placed on our lips. Malachi calls him a refining fire. He's, he's, uh, God is also referred to as a consuming fire. That, means a, uh, that, that, that implies a, a burning up of, of any impurities, of any unholiness. That is what that coal was to Isaiah. It was, it, was, it was representative of his sin being atoned for and cleansed. All that guilt, that right guilt that he held on to, God atoned for in and of himself. Similarly, with us, Jesus is that atonement. Again, same in the New Testament. God provides to us what we couldn't provide in, uh, in and of ourselves, himself. He provides us with Jesus. He provides us with the one that did meet the standard, that did die innocently, that, that bore no guilt of his own. In fact, he bore our guilt and died the penalty that we all deserve. Okay. Go back to the text. Isaiah 6. First, there's encounter with God. Second, there is the woeing of me. Third is the forgiveness, the atoning for sin. And fourth and finally, it is the call to go. Verse uh, verse eight. Isaiah says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am. Send me. And he said, go and say this to the people. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Directly following, being forgiven. Directly following, uh, being made guiltless. God makes the call. Isaiah speaks up. And God God sends him out to work. God sends him out to service, to co-labor with him. God asks him the question, listen, I've done all this for you. I've forgiven you. You have your whole life in front of you. Now what do you do? Isaiah does not hesitate. He says, send me. Send me and I will go. Again, the humble acknowledgement of our sin and where we state and this encounter with God must precede the actual call. Must precede the actual co-laboring, excuse me. It was said in the first service, God absolutely does use the non-saved. He does. God absolutely, and thank God that he does. In the book of Job, God used Satan for his will within the context of Job. God made a donkey talk and ministered to someone. God absolutely can use someone who isn't saved but I can guarantee you that Satan wasn't uh, uh, wasn't a a willing participant in God's will when it came to Job, right? God can use someone that isn't saved, but the co-laboring, the actually coming in tandem with God and working with God to his purposes, there's a a walking together in agreement that has to be between the co-laborer and God, and that's where we need to be. And this call is not just to uh, pastors or preachers or people, you know, on platforms that you can see or, you know, that call, particularly in the New Testament, is for all of us. For for anyone who would call on and acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior, that call is for all of us. In different ways, in different contexts, but it is for all of us. In Matthew, I'm going to wrap up now. In Matthew... 28, it says, go therefore, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptist, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That was, uh, Jesus was speaking that to the disciples, which by extension includes us. Go throughout all the, all the earth and make disciples. That's the charge. All, yeah, we do it in different ways, different styles. You know, like, um, you know, ministry is contextual, right? You know, what, what in con- context may, may be, you know, uh, 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 be receptive of, maybe you have to change it in another context, but the message is, is the same. The message is the same. That has to be the same. In first Peter, Peter says, uh, uh, but in your hearts, again, speaking to the church in your hearts, honor Christ, as, uh, the Lord, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Again, Peter was not speaking to evangelists Peter, or, or, or just the preachers or the pastors. He was speaking to the church. It is all of our duty to be, listen, when, if someone asks you why you're a Christian, if someone asks you why you follow Jesus, yeah, man, you should have an answer more than uh, my mommy and daddy was one. It should be. It should be. Because, and I heard Dr. Eric Mason say this years ago, yeah, uh, having, uh, having your testimony be my mommy and daddy uh, brought me up in church, yeah, that may help you, but that won't help nobody else. That may encourage you, but that ain't going to encourage nobody else. Why are you? And you have to be prepared to do that. And that calling to preparedness, that calling to go out and make disciples is for all of us. So again, the first step is having this encounter with God, Allah, having an encounter with Jesus. Second step allowing this encounter with the living God in all his perfection and brilliance to humble us. The third, once we are humbled, now we are restored. We are forgiven by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And lastly, go, go, go. Pastor Pastor B says it at the end of every service, uh, 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 John 20, 21. You are sent. 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 Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for, uh, as they say, uh, working, uh, coloring with broken crayons. Um, all of us at least those who have uh, regarded and recognized where we stand outside of your grace in Jesus Christ, um, we are all uh, acknowledged that we are sinners, Lord, that we are broken, Father. Um, Our brokenness may be different in different areas, um, but at the heart of us is the same, that we are broken without you, Father. Um, Thank you for uh, your standard that is true, that doesn't change, that is faithful, Lord. Um, that is just, Father, Um, and that judges correctly, Lord, but also, man, thank you, Lord, for your love and grace and mercy that restores us, that forgives us, that makes us new, that equips us to actually go out and serve and co-labor with you, Father. Father, we repent of any uh, arrogance and pride and conceit that would seek to deny um, our need for you, Uh, any self-justification or self-reliance that would put uh, the weight of our futures in our hands, even a little bit more in our hands than in yours, Father, because you hold the future. Only you are capable, Father. We thank you for that. We repent of it. And we humbly ask your forgiveness, Father. And we thank you for the the call to go, Lord. We bless you with our lives in Jesus' name, amen.